with all her books, and our goal is to send her back home without any books. Somebody say amen. Amen. <laughs> right? So each book is $22. Uh, I have a handful of books on the back table. After you hear your story, you will know why you should buy this book for yourself and for everybody you know. One of my brothers here asked, is this 22, what kind of dollars? Is it like college dollars, seminary, poor student dollars, New York City dollars? Listen, if you own more than $4,000 worth of stuff, and I know your Air Jordans are worth $200, your computers are $1,400, you own, you are richer than half of the world's population. You can afford $22, all right? So don't bargain with me about the money. Buy the book, bless somebody. It will tell you the story about how God led somebody. So before I say anything further, I want you to know you're going to hear from a woman today who is a strong woman. Her voice might be soft, but she is strong because of what God has done in her life. She lives out the testimony of what it means what the Bible says. In your weakness, I will make you strong. So will you put your hands together and welcome Ms. Rebecca Dennis. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Um, that is really generous of you. And um, thank you, everyone, for coming out tonight. Is my voice okay? Yes. I'm really a soft, like a soft... Uh, spoken person, but I want you to hear it. And then secondly, uh, English is my second language. So when I arrived in 2000, I did really know English. So from 2000 till now. So give me grace, raise your hand if you can hear me. Uh, but yeah, my name is Rebecca Deng. <clears throat> I was born in Sudan. Sudan used to be Africa's largest country. Was born into a Dinka tribe. In the southern part of the country, there are about 65 tribes. Um, I grew up on the Nile, or like close to the Nile tribute. I grew up in a place called Duk, which is in Jongle State. Uh, my village is no longer there anymore. It's pretty much a swampland right now. Uh, the village was erased when it was attacked. But that picture right there is really close to describing my homeland. Um, that picture was taken in 2009 when I went back to South Sudan after I left when I was six and I went back at that time, I was 28, 29, um, or 26, yeah. And that was taken in a village. So growing up, everything was large, like my homeland. It was so green, a lot of animals, I grew up really eating three meals a day. Um, at that time, Sudan in 1983 imposed what they called Shara law um, through the whole country. And that began um, a fight, a fight from the Southerners who are mostly African background. So some of them are traditional believers or some of them convert to Christianity either through um, Episcopal Church or uh, Catholic or Presbyterian. 
So that, that was a conflict uh, trigger why the war happened. The second part that the war happened is that the southern part of the country is where the oil come from, southern part of the country, and a lot of agriculture produce come from the south. Um, so, but for me, I was a kid, I was just enjoying my life when they say that there's a war being fought. I care less. I see my dad coming with his soldiers and then going back to the front line. I just remember when my dad come with his soldiers, I really, I get really excited. I want to hug him and I want to just, you know, just embrace him and say, Daddy, you are home. But my grandmother will always hold my hand and the rest of the children and women and they will normally do a sacrifice. They will kill a bull or a cow, and then the soldiers will have to jump over it. It's a ceremonial thing that the people did in my village. And I remember asking my grandmother, I say, why can't we not just greet my dad and the soldiers? And she will say, you know what, when men go to war, they enter a different world. And that world, we don't know. And before they are reunited with uh, women and children, they have to be sacrificed. So I'm like, okay, it didn't make sense to me. But anyway, it was a ceremony that cleansing, and I, I can't understand that, but I'm like, oh, I don't get it. But I was happy my dad was home. That changed, my dad left one day to go to Frontline, and then we were sitting women and children, and suddenly, in the middle of the night, there was a cat. This was 1991 going to 92. And I would say that during that day, I lost 80% of everything I have known in my life. My friends, my uncle, they are the grandmothers, the end, the our animal, everything was lost that day. And we had to run. And in our running, we were running, hoping that in a day, in a two days, three days to a week, we would be back to our village. And that's what I was told. My uncle told me, you know what, it's not safe now in our village. Let's go to the next village. And then when the enemies are gone, we will come back to our village. Well, that never happens. That week turned into weeks and months. And before we know it, at that point, we were now at the border of Sudan and Kenya at a place called Lokichokyo. And um, I was asking uncle, so are we not going back home? What happened? Like, why do we have to be here? And at that time, there were a lot of UN cars that came. Uh, they were giving our tents, which is where we will stay in. And I thought that it would just be a one week camping and we will go back to our homeland. Um, so that one week turned into a month at, uh, at the border. And then the United Nations and Kenya finally say, yes, we have a location where you can put the refugee in. So we went to a place called Kakuma. And Kakuma, um, I heard that in a Swahili word, it really mean nothing. It was so desert. There was nothing. There was no trees. There were no, this picture that you see here is a picture of my uncle wife that ran with me from the village. This picture was taken into three years of our life in a refugee camp. So if you see a little bit of trees, that was after three years we've been there. But when we first arrived, it was barren. There was nothing. There was no trees. There were no uh, water, running water. Um, it was just a desert. And they give us 10. 
and those 10 when you get in into a 10 you will just start dripping because it's like over 100 degrees um, and I, I, I always tell people the only thing that was wet during those first months of being in a refugee camp is your sweat or your tears. It was that dry. Um, and over time, you know, life starts coming slowly. The UN built a lot of boreholes uh, where you can go pump water. Uh, and then the UN bring Roshan, which is like you have to line up. You have to line up and you get a scoop of rice or beans or corn, we call it corn. Uh, and it's supposed to last you for uh, like 15 days. So most of the time you run out of food. We had what we call black days. <laughs> Those black days mean like you have nothing but just water or dirt, which one of my friends told me one time, like, you know what, if you eat a little bit of dirt and drink water, you, you get energy. And I tried that um, and it sustained me. Um, so life in a refugee camp was just, and during that time, now that I look back, uh, it was 92, 93, 94, the Rwanda genocide happened. So you are now in a refugee camp, not only for South Sudanese refugee, but you have people from Rwanda, you have refugees from Ethiopia, you have people from, but I didn't know at that time, they just say I'm from Rwanda. I'm like, oh, okay, why are you in a refugee camp? My country is in, at war. And I say, okay. Um, so you have a, uh, a refugee camp that began with like 8,000, and now Kakuma refugee camp is over 200,000, close. And that refugee camp had been open since 1992. We were the first people that were there. And so you are in the mercy of UN. Uh, <clears throat> again, you have to go and collect firewood. So you can imagine what risk that put into women and children. Local people, there's not enough trees. And you go and cut the trees. So there's a lot of shooting that happened. They shoot people or they abuse women or children. So it's really risky in a refugee camp, really difficult. Um, and it was during that time, during that difficult time, that personally I came to know the Lord at Kakuma refugee camp. And I just came upon, it was a normal church under the tree, and they just build rows, uh, rows of um, mud. You just take the mud and build a long one, and then you sit on there. And I just remember listening to the Bible, listening to the person of Christ. And for the first time, hearing that Jesus suffered uh, because of the sin of others. Well, that made me, uh, that hooked me to the gospel. Because I was asking question like, why am I in a refugee camp? We run from my village. I lost my mom, my grandmother, my friends. Uh, in a refugee camp, I learned that my dad was killed in front line. Uh, does that have to do with me? I was asking a lot of questions. And when you talk to adults, people were just stressed so nobody explained to kids. And this is what happened to children in a war-torn country. It's like nobody pay attention to the emotional support and the question they might have. Um, so church was really a place for me, a place of ministry, hearing the person of Christ and explaining how he suffered and he didn't. He didn't do anything wrong. And then going to lamentation, which again was like talking about like how God uh, take our brokenness and value it. And he's not afraid. Our God is not intimidated by our sin or our brokenness. 
but he's there to maintain. So that's how I became to know the Lord. But still, life was really hard. I want to go to school, and there was no concern in school. The school would open and then close because they don't pay teachers. Now I'm 14, had my first period. I hit a, a state where a man came to my uncle and said, well, she's a woman now, I want to marry her, which is what happened to most of young girls in the refugee camp. You get your period, you're not going to school, you get married, make children that you think, but you can see how that do. You are a baby yourself. Most girls die during childbirth because they are children themselves. Um, so at that time, I just remember praying to God and I say, God, I can't take that. I'm a orphan. I can't take that. My mom and dad died during the war, but I really want to go to school. Why, why is this thing happening? Well, in my culture, there's a practice where the men have to pay. Dowry is a bride price. Uh, so they ask that gentleman, well, if you like her and you want to marry her, go and get something to pay, you know. In a refugee camp, there are no jobs. Everybody is just sitting around. So he left to Sudan to go look for a dowry to come and pay for me. And it was during that time the program of Lost Boys, Lost Girl of Sudan came about. So my teacher told me, have you heard of the program Lost Boys of Sudan? I say, no. And he say, well, it's a program taking young people to United States. And one of the qualifications is that you are an orphan. You don't have mom and dad, which you don't have. And you like to go to school, which I know you have performed well in the school and I know that there was a period of time that I was not allowed to go to school and to just help collect firewood and cook at home but I just baked that day I would show up for exam and I passed my exam so that caught uh, attention of my teacher <clears throat> and it's like you can do this go and apply for it so I applied for the program Lost Boys and Lost Girls of Sudan I got in and I was so happy, excited to leave Kakuma refugee camp, to start a new life all over, to go to school, to be somebody. I was just excited. Uh, but three days before I left, I was assaulted. Uh, after they did everything, because they have to do all of the screening, medical checkup, um, of all kinds of diseases, pregnancies, and pregnancy tests, if you become positive, they have to destroy the process and you have to start over again. And this process of coming to United States is so hard. Like it's months to years where the different, they send different people to come interview you and if you mess one question up, you have to start all over. So I was like, okay. Uh, just remember getting into the plane after 20 something hours that that thing happened, but I'm in a plane now, I'm coming to United States. So that thing happened, and it looked like God just put his hand in, lift me out of it. I'm now in the United States. I arrived November 6th of 2000. And I was just so excited that I'm in a new environment, a new life. Now I had to just deal to learn English, to learn food, to learn culture, and all of that. So life was good. I was excited. Two, two months, three months. Um, and I just remember when I came to the U.S., I didn't know nothing of the United States. The only thing I knew was New York City and the Statue of Liberty. And the Statue of Liberty was at the back of cultural orientation. And they talk about snow, but 
I never seen a snow in my life, so I didn't even know what it would be. In a refugee camp, we didn't have ice, you know. We didn't even have soda or anything. You just, if you're lucky to have water, that's pretty much what you have. So um, when I arrived and saw the Statue of Liberty, uh, the plane was landing down. I just remember fixing on the light, the lamb thing, and I keep looking, I'm like, she looked like a woman. And then I'm like, oh, I had an anxiety of coming to a new land. And I'm like, well, I got lost during the war like three times. And there were women that rescued me. And one of them was even from the rivalry tribe that was chasing my people. Mm. So there was something deep inside me that I'm like, you know what? There's a new land, but there's a woman holding a lamb. I'll be OK. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was my first reaction of the Statue of Liberty there. But, um, Anyway, four months into my stay in the United States, um, we finally learned that I was pregnant as a result of that thing that happened in a refugee camp. And I just remember being overwhelmed with the feeling like, what is God trying to do? Or like, what, what, what? I was just so confused. But then my foster family that have received me told me, you know what, you need to finish high school, you are smart, we know that you've been here only four months and you're doing well in your ESL classes. You will just have responsibility that high schoolers don't have, which means after classes you can feed your baby, you bath your baby, and you do what you have to do. And that's pretty much what we did, and by God's grace I was able to finish high school. And after I finished high school I was able to go to college, it's a Calvin College um, in Grand Rapids. And then after that, I was able to do master degree and move to DC for a while, get married. And um, now I have two little children. One is four, a boy, and a girl is two. But when I look back into that life story of mine, and even now, there are still things that I have to deal with and, and come to the foot of the Lord and, and ask him what he means. But um, one of the things was that I will have to share my story. But every time I think of sharing it, I just didn't want to leave the memories, you know, the memories, painful memories. And I think one of the big lies we tell ourselves is that, you know, if something happened to you, it's in the past, forget it. Nobody forget things. Even if you try to like forget it intellectually, your body will register it and it doesn't forget. And I share an example today where I talk about like the fireworks. It's so beautiful. I love fireworks. I go, love going there. But every time there's that boom, 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 my stomach used to tie it up. Because my eyes seeing beautiful things, my body is registering it, connecting it to the wartime. I had to pay attention and do some exercise to even get over it. And now I can watch fireworks and I'm fine. But it was a huge trigger for me. Um, so as I am with you today, with my story, you will dig more into it in my book. Uh, the book is back there. There's, uh, there's uh, um, one online, uh, it's an audio one, and the lady that read it, her name is C.D. Laloka. She's the leading voice of the Lion King, the musical. And I just remember getting a phone call here in New York, and she's like, I'm going to read your story. When I saw it, I say that I want to be part of this, and I'm like, what? 
How did you and like how did you and say hi to you know like yeah hi to me and yes to reading my books and I was so excited. So I just want to encourage you tonight as you go out. These are the things I through my life experience and thing that happened to me that I rest on. I rest on that I am not a victim. I'm not a victim. Why? Because Lord have shown up in my life and have given me a voice. When I was in a refugee camp, I would sit at the back there and it's over 200 students and I will not speak. And part of it is that like there's just so many people and second of it is like the teacher is way up in the front and coming to United States and going through all of that, I didn't want to speak because the enemy was telling me like, who are you to cheer? You are a former refugee, you are a lost girl of Sudan, all of those voices that are not right. Uh, but when I gain my voice and have my voice that I can share with others, that's when I knew that I'm not a victim. And second, that I'm not a victim is having an education. I have dream that I will finish eighth grade, but God have just like, you know, just did miracle. Uh, if you have asked me a long time ago, would you have a college degree? I probably would say, no, high school is enough. Master degree is, is God work, it's not my work. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not a victim because I have education, right. I can talk to you like I'm talking mm -hmm. to you today. And I am not afraid. And part of not being afraid is that I pretty much value all of my historical identity. I, there's no day that I look now and say, you know what, that refugee camp life was hard, but I am not bitter over it. I say that God have taught me something that to deal with life. So I'm not afraid I took my identity, uh, historical identical and just say that Lord, you were there with me. And when I, was, when I was really overwhelmed and afraid, you have brought me through. And so going forward through life, I know that there is no guarantee that bad thing will not happen to me, but there's a guarantee that you will always be there. Um, and that's what I rest on now, especially when I came to the uh, point where I, I think it was like last two years where I kind of have entitlement, kind of like attitude, you know, like I have suffered enough, please go deal with somebody else. <laughs> Not me this time, you know, but God never, like that is an evil voice. God never say that. He say that I will be there with you. And lastly, I'm not, um, I'm not lost. I'm not a lost girl of Sudan. I might have been a lost child of God, but he has found me. Amen. And part of that is having a community of people that are willing to come and listen to what refugees go through and for you to minister to them. One of the things that I say here is that there's a difference from refugee and immigrant. Immigrant, you might have have a premeditation that, you know what, Sitting in this this chapel, I can't do it, I'm gonna go out. A refugee, somebody like you sitting here and boom, something will come and then you have to get out whether you want it or not. Uh, most of refugees, their life decision of them running or going to a different country is decided whether they are bathing, they are sleeping or they are in their garden. And uh, I just want to encourage you tonight to be open to the ministry 
that God is calling you, first of all, to your own self, to know that you are a child of God and that he embraced you. And second, to know that as you go out to your street, to your community, to know that there's no day, there's no um, a year or a century you will ever look into somebody that God doesn't love. So I encourage you tonight to practice that for yourself, that dignity that God loves you first because you can give what you don't have and when that makes sense to you you're going to love others people so go out love yourself uh, my book what they meant for evil come from genesis 50 20 and what they they in that book you will find out as many people that meant evil too with me including myself who have tried to entertain those voices that are not voices of god so thank you so much and uh, awesome. once more would you thank our friend would you once more would you join me in thanking our friend i'm going to pray for rebecca and i'm going to invite you to join me lord we thank you for our dear friend rebecca thank you for walking her through such deep paths of suffering and yet, as she has boldly proclaimed to us, you have been with her. You have not abandoned her. She is not lost, and she is loved by you. And Lord, and thank you for sharing that message with us, that we belong to you, that you have a plan and a purpose for our lives, that our suffering is not the end of our story, that our suffering are just moments that you will redeem for your kingdom. So we thank you, Lord, that just as you took the bread, you broke it, that you gave it to feed the multitudes, that our broken lives are in your hands, that you will use it to bless the multitudes. So we pray a special blessing over our sister Rebecca. We pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. 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 Rebecca's book is here behind us on the table. Oh, she's also willing to stay and sign your copy if you would like. So how many of you want the book? Can I see your hand? All right, there's several of you, great. Uh, Dorcas is there in the back, uh, and you can hand her $22 cash. If you don't have the money, you can Venmo me, you can ca uh, Chase Quick Pay me, or just send me an IOU, but you'll get the book. Please stand with me for the benediction. Hi. Hi, how are you? Now may the love of God our Father, who redeems our broken lives, and the grace of Jesus, walks with us in our deepest pain and the sweet comfort and ministry of the Holy Spirit that mends our broken lives that we may be a blessing to the world be with you now and forevermore go in peace God bless you please take a moment to greet our friend Rebecca Day God bless you